Think back to reading picture books as a child. Even if you don't remember the exact words on the page, chances are the story and pictures will come together in your mind. We're talking about modes of meaning working together. I'm Dimitri Detweiler, and this is Episode 5 of Multipodality. We invited Dr. Kathy Shoemaker to our studio to learn more about the art of illustration. I wanted to hear about her reflections from her storied career as a children's book illustrator. I always loved um, books as a small child, and I uh, was lucky enough to be given lots and lots of books. I loved the pictures. And the other thing I was very fortunate in having um, was the fact that my parents, for the age, for the time, this is in the 40s, um, uh, encouraged me to do a lot of drawing, and they gave me a lot of materials, no coloring books, but lots and lots of materials to draw with and play with and experiment with. So, uh, and furthermore, another thing that was very good for that time period, they sent me to some very progressive preschools. Mm-hmm. So I had um, really a brilliant early childhood education. I've often said in speaking with teachers and other people, parents, that I don't know whether, you know, how much talent I have or whether I'm literally a product of a really great early childhood education, both on behalf of the schools my parents were wise enough to send me to and also for their own forward thinking in the kind of home environment and materials that I had to work with. So I went, uh, of course, through school. I loved school, always loved school. Uh, And it was actually in my first year of university uh, where I had had thought I was going to be, I had a little romance with becoming a doctor. Who knows why people (laughs) have these goofy ideas. Um, and then I um, had a very full academic schedule, but I had one art class, and I was working late one night, and I had this, you know, epiphany of saying, really, this is what I love to do. Why don't I, why am I not thinking about doing that? Uh, so I, then I went back to university and finished up as an art major, and uh, because I didn't want to go into advertising, I got a job for a very, uh, with a very large school district in Southern California, where my job was to work with teachers designing learning materials, mm-hmm. and uh, and holding uh, art workshops for them. So, what do you think are some of the most important personal attributes for illustrators? Well, what does it take to do this today? To do. Well, I think you have to love to draw. You absolutely have to love to draw. You have to love stories, and you have to love and respect the fact that um, uh, in most cases the story comes first. Mm-hmm. You are contracted, or you know, if you're working together with someone you frequently work with, that sometimes happens with me. The story has come first, and you must honor that story. So with um, that, in terms of the quality, the quality is to um, sort of love and appreciate story. Uh, I also think because it's such a collaborative um, kind of work, 
ideally, it's very collaborative, you must be able to listen uh, to what others have to say, particularly the writer, the editor, the art director, not take anything personally, consider comments, and um, and then uh, go back and try it again and not become defensive and certainly not to be, become a diva or be ego-centric uh, in your approach because this isn't ever going to be your work. Um, it is always going to be our work. Mm-hmm. So in the books that I do, for example, in the past few years, I done quite a few books with Irene Watts and we always talk about it as our book it's her story that she started with and then I you know we work together to add the pictures but it's our book uh, and our includes the publisher too it is often said a picture is worth a thousand words but I imagined it takes a lot more words than that to turn a story into a book I wanted to talk to Kathy about communication around the illustration process. Often you'll hear um, people talk about, especially in the children's um, picture book, um, sort of part of the uh, industry, uh, particularly in Canada, and that's probably because Canada is such a new publishing, um, has such a new and short publishing history, basically only from the 1970s compared to, say, England and the U.S. that have been, they've been publishing children's books for 300 years. So they have deeper traditions. Now, the old tradition was that the art, the editor um, dealt with the uh, writer and the illustrator. Sometimes there was an art director who was a part of that process. And so the, this middle person, the editor, art director, um, would uh, sort of convey information back and forth. But a picture book or a graphic novel, something that is really ultimately got to be a seamless integration of words and images. Um, so, but I, I would like to be clear about things. And I will say that having none these two degrees, um, it has given me uh, a depth of knowledge and an ability to articulate things in a very good way. What are some of your favorite types of stories to illustrate and why? Well, I've always loved um, something that has a particular historical time and place because I actually love the research. So, I mean, many people don't realize that um, the illustrator has to do as much, if not sometimes more, research than the writer for illustration because you're going to, as an illustrator, show something. And when you're writing, um, you can get away with sort of fuzzy descriptions and let people's imagination fill in things about, you know, um, a place or a time. And the other thing, because I've, I did some work with Williamsburg, Virginia, uh, in Williamsburg, Virginia, and um, it was the story of a little mouse and some birds. So every animal, every uh, piece of foliage, had to be historically correct and 
uh, would be something found in that area. So that's true of a lot of things. I mean, you can, depending on the kind of illustration you're doing, you can fudge it a little bit, but you, um, you can't suddenly put an animal in the woods that isn't, uh, you know, uh, commonly found in Europe, you know. <laughs> What's that kangaroo doing there? No, I mean, not that I would, but, you know, there are a lot of things that can trip you up. And kids and other people are very good at catching you. And the other place that I see, I always find this so annoying. Uh, often I see it in film and television. Um, people will insert expressions that were not used in the 1920s, or they weren't even used in the 1950s. Like an expression <laughs> like, no worries. No, <laughs> no, nobody said that in the 1950s. I, I do recall that. <laughs> because we can't just show you a picture, we asked Kathy to describe the process of illustration. The, how long does it take to do, um, you know, a book? It depends on the kind of book. So a picture book, or a graphic novel are in a way the most complex and have the most amount of drawing. The picture book is the most complex because even though it only may have um, uh, anywhere from 17 to 20 uh, openings or double page spreads or big illustrations, mm -hmm. which doesn't seem a lot, the continuity and uh, the way Everything is integrated from start to finish is absolutely um, essential to get right. It's not like the example I could give you where I did um, an anthology of poems. So in that case, the illustrations are little spot illustrations. They're not essential. You could read those poems. You don't need an illustration, but they're decorative. So in that case, uh, for that book, I had the book of poems or the manuscript of poems, and I did it in little scratchboard drawings. And so I just did several little scratchboard drawings for each poem. And I think I did that over a month and a half, gave all these uh, drawings to an art director who put the whole thing together. In the case of a graphic novel that may involve up to 500 drawings, there's a much bigger... That's a remarkable number. Yeah, it is. So that takes a lot longer. And uh, in a way, it's a little easier than a picture book. So in the case of a picture book and a graphic novel, you make a dummy, which is a facsimile of it. So um, I would, for the picture book, make a dummy so that the editor and the author, I always like to involve the author, as I've said earlier, can look at how I have sequentially um, drawn this story to go with the text. And uh, so that may be, you know, it'll be a dummy that is the same number of pages as the final picture book, 32 or 40, whatever it may be. But the graphic novel is usually like 120 pages. So that's a much more hefty dummy. And it's got you know, anywhere from four to five illustrations on every page. So does it ever happen that based on your planning of illustrations that the author will go back and make changes to the text? Yeah. Yeah, and vice versa. I see. Yeah. So it's yeah. very much a two-way process. Absolutely. That's why I've said, especially in picture books, um, it's really important to work together. 
Kathy is more than an illustrator herself. She also teaches others, from kindergartners to university students, about illustration. She was the perfect person to share her insights on one of the major themes of this podcast, literacy. I would say that one of the most important things that I spend time on is helping uh, teachers learn to read the pictures and the illustrations and not skip over them and jump to just reading the print and and, and just assuming um, the uh, the printed word is the story that they're that they are um, going to be sharing um, and it and it's interesting because children are really quite good at looking at picture books but once you become a really pretty good reader you have a tendency uh, to skim over the pictures. You read the text, skim, and, and a lot of um, the people that I'm teaching that are mostly teachers and librarians, um, they're used to reading a book once and expecting they're going to understand it. And, and especially I'll sort of gear most of my uh, comments here up to picture books, but it applies to other kinds of things and also graphic novels. Uh, because picture books have become something uh, that we understand will help children develop their um, language literacy. and, la and So they're viewed as kind of a stepping stone towards developing this textual orientation. Exactly. Uh, but sometimes what um, they don't realize is that they're, they're not just a stepping stone. And, and now in our highly visual culture, um, as we have... Uh, more and more aspects of our world uh, being focused on presenting information visually. The picture book it has become the ideal um, object or uh, source of learning how to understand and how to become visually literate. And that's because um, the images in most picture books are going to be highly tied to a text, or they may not even have a text. Wordless books are another great example. So you really do have to attend to what's going on visually. You've got to understand that it isn't accidental that something is placed in one part of the uh, one location on the page, or on the light, left page rather than the right page or at top or bottom, or what is the visual perspective of the person drawing the picture or taking the picture. All of these things, speaking of worldviews, um, you know, um, these perspectives, these points of views, learning how to read them in a picture book is uh, an important learning task. Now, children are doing that early, early on because when they're first looking at picture books, they can't read the text. And not only that, but you know, young children are so much more patient about rereading, reviewing things over and over and over again, looking for all the details, looking for and surveying everything that they can find. And furthermore, they're also very close to their early developmental stages where they were using 
people's um, facial expressions, their body gestures, everything going on in the environment to make sense of the world. So as we become more and more dependent upon just reading text or listening to words being said, we're not as aware of how, um, how and the amount of visual information coming to us. We've conventionalized that so much. For example, think of yourself driving a car which is a highly visual experience and also Absolutely. Yeah. So what you do driving a car is that you're basically expecting everything to stay pretty much the same. In the Western world, we drive on the right. And what you're looking for and need to be alert about are weird things, anomalies, some surprise, some salient thing that happens in front or to the side and being ready and aware of that. So, but children are vigilant early on about everything because everything is new. They don't have- Their attention is more wide open and not focused in that same way. Exactly, yeah. What else can we learn from illustration, either the illustrations themselves or uh, the process of producing them? The process, here's what I think is really interesting uh, that's occurred over the past, 30 years or so with postmodern picture books and postmodern film and all of that is that the process of creating narratives is being shown and made visible in the illustrations in the text. And the more of those uh, processes um, that are playfully put forward. I mean, metafiction has been fabulous for teaching everyone about how narratives work from little, little kids who now, you know, people used to say, oh, children don't get irony. Um, But because there have been so many metafictive texts for young children uh, that they see both on TV and their iPads and in books, there's a kind of irony and humor that they are accessing at a much younger age than kids used to. Also, what I see is they can talk about what stories are and what narratives are in very informed, intelligent ways now at um, a young age. I mean, I was an avid reader and read, you know, novels when I was eight, but I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't have used the term I'm you know, this is a narrative, what kind of a narrative is. Uh, yeah, that wasn't in my vocabulary. I might have understood parts of the story. I could read it. But now, um, you know, my grandson, when he was eight, knew what a narrative was. He could talk to me. He, he even, you know, would know what metafictive was. Yeah. And if young readers are developing this competence, does that mean they're also potentially losing something where if you understand how something works um, or demystify it in a way, does that reduce its impact or change its impact in some way? Oh, or I think what people are worried about, will it take the magic away? Well, if you know how something's done. You know, I've heard people say that for years, and I don't believe it. If you create a really fabulous 
um, book or film, if it's done really well, you will draw people in. And I think young people will create a new kind of magic. And um, I have no fear um, that they are losing anything at all. I, I don't think so. I think I think that's a, a, a misconception about what information does uh, or a fear. I mean, it, yeah, it may be tied to some deeper fears that people have uh, about what education does for people and, and even maybe in some weird way tied to, you know, people were afraid, you know, um, too much education would um, take you away from religion. Well, that probably does. But, and people probably are nervous about that. <laughs> As always, I was keen to learn more about the multimodal sensory aspects of illustration. How does one sense get converted or translated into another? Yes. Well, first of all, um, if you're creating a book, you're creating a physical object that is going to be handled. So you have to have a good sense of what is that going to feel like. And as I mentioned earlier, um, how is it going to be experienced by the readers or viewers um, as you hold this book and you turn the pages? Now, you could also talk about the sensory experience of um, experiencing a story online or on a, an iPad. Um, As a reader, I find that I really miss those. Uh, I love handling physical books, even with few illustrations, much more so than trying to read them on a Kindle or, uh, God forbid, on my computer screen. Yeah, and, I, and that's a curious thing. What is it about us holding a book? Um, but certainly um, uh, the experience, there's a different rhythm to your reading that you have when you read from a physical book and the experience of turning the page. Your whole body is going to be engaged in a different way. Whereas, you know... Well, it's just different from what you experience on screen. I mean, some people also will talk about, I, I can't say for me personally that I've been in love with the smell of books, but many people are. They love the smell of the paper. Mm-hmm. I certainly love handling paper because I love working with paper. Um, that's highly essential. That leads very naturally into my next question, which is how do you capture dynamism and dimensionality on paper? Yes, well, that is always the challenge of illustration because you're doing something in two dimensions. And in two dimensions, you're trying to convey three dimensions with movement and all kinds of things. Now, you could just make it a pop-up book as we just put up a big display in Ike Barber, by the way, of pop-up books. And um, funnily enough, I've been working on a couple of other books that I'm illustrating where I am and I've been very conscious of this uh, sort of drawing them as though they are drawing the illustrations as though they're coming off the page so you see the open book and the illustrations are like pop-up things coming up off the page 
Um, and I think that's, um, why do I just think it's neat? <laughs> it's fun. It reminds that. me of these uh, sidewalk chalk drawings that I've seen where the artist will use a particular perspective to make it look like there's a three-dimensional space yeah. there yeah. that can be interacted with. Exactly. So, I mean, illustrators, of course, to do that, to make this um, fool people into thinking it's three-dimensional. Three dimensions can do it in a variety of ways, you know, with, as you said, uh, skilled use of perspective. Um, and also sometimes the materials themselves will um, give a sense of dimensionality because they're thick or you can see layers of paper uh, in the way they're put together. I love turning a really heavy, thick page. It's so satisfying relative to tapping a touchscreen. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing um, I think that helps with um, to give you a sense of life and liveliness in illustration, which is another of the great challenges because um, it's hard to show movement. But sometimes um, people who draw can draw with great animation um, can create this sense of movement like uh, Peter uh, Quentin Blake and all his drawings that he's done for many books, but most people more recently will know his work um, with Roald Dahl. And then there's the other kind of illustration like uh, Chris Van Allsburg and those illustrators that do kind of the frozen moment. So you get this very still sort of ironic image. A sense of imminence. Yes, yeah, and that, that can help. Now this description has been really visual so far. Yeah. How can you stimulate readers' other senses through a visual medium? Well, I think that their other senses, certainly um, worldview and perspective, is more complicated. And I think um, what you, as a, any kind of a writer, but a children's book writer and illustrator has to become very sensitive to um, realizing how one's personal experience and worldview may um, inadvertently be, be conveyed. Now, sometimes that may be okay, but sometimes it isn't. And so, for example, this is an easy example. You may be illustrating um, a book, a kind of a homey tale about kids at home. Um, actually, a fairly good example is even where the wild things are. So in that book, um, uh, Max's room is a fairly simple room. But just the fact that he has a room of his own is culturally significant. So kids in a country where everyone sleeps in the same room, they're going to think, wow, that kid must be really rich. He has his own bedroom. Um, so that's, a, or, you know, you're an illustrator, and, and we've all seen there are many popular books that everything is portrayed as uh, really upper middle class. Or, you know, I am very sensitive to the fact that, you know, I'm a, well, I'm fair to say, highly educated, liberal 
WASP North America. You know, so my worldview, um, how, you know, where, uh, where is my worldview sometimes interfering or intruding upon the telling of a story? <laughs> but I, I came from a pretty liberal and very creative educational uh, experience and philosophy um, that taught me to be um, a really good um, problem solver. And the other thing we did, we kind of skipped over this, but this is really important about personal attributes of an illustrator, someone going into children's literature, and that would be uh, a lot of ambition and willingness to work, work, work. I had the impression that the digital era has probably shifted illustration significantly. I hoped Kathy could share her insights on new directions in the field. Um, and there are now quite a number of generations of wonderful illustrators coming up who are doing a lot of things digitally that are just amazing. Um, but ultimately, it all has to be based on an understanding of the materials and drawing. Um, and really great illustrators will always have had a sense of working and manipulating uh, with a variety of materials. There is a danger, I think, sometimes that we've made some of these digital programs available to kids before they have actually learned to draw properly. Uh, and sometimes they're skipping some steps. But that that's an education issue that has to be dealt with in a different way. Um, the other impact on illustration, which is interesting, uh, with digital work is that in the olden days, and, and as is the case with some old-fashioned hands-on illustrators such as myself, when I finish a book or a piece of work, I, there is actually a physical piece of art that I can give to someone, sell to someone, uh, auction off, make prints of. There's a physical thing Right. But a lot of digital illustration now, there is no physical thing. They're just some files. So if you want a copy of that illustration, they have to make a print. There will never be anything more than that. And that's, uh, I mean, do, who cares? Maybe nobody cares about that. I think the materiality is really important, though, because if you're producing an illustration directly in these physical media, that's one thing. But if you're illustrating something uh, in a software package, at some point there still has to be a kind of translation to a physical medium as well. But the artifact that you have in the end will be really different. It will, yeah, and the color and things like that are going, can be very different. You know, if you have an original piece of art and you make a scan, you can keep correcting it till you get it. You do something different digitally because then you're not correcting to some one fixed thing. You may adjust it till you actually like what the output looks like when you print it off. It sounds a lot more relative or relational uh, when it's all digital. Yeah, it probably is. Um, 
and and that those aren't bad things at all they aren't bad things at all they're just it's different it's different and you know maybe as the world expands what do we do i mean i'm facing this archival challenge because uh, i think you know all right i have i don't know three or four thousand illustrations Hmm. What am I going to do with all those? Now, some of them I can give to rare books, but it's not exactly like I'm a household name. They, they might like a few sets of books because they could be used in teaching. How would you describe illustration in just one word, if you could? Well, I've been thinking about this question. This is a very hard question. The reason it is a hard question to answer is that ultimately illustration unlike so a painting or a piece of art is tied to another modality it's tied to something else it is tied to a story or an idea so um, to use one word is not going to do it you can't say illustration is an image illustration is an art but I think you could say that illustration is a, a visual narrative or a, a visual um, message. Thanks a lot for coming in to talk with us today. My pleasure. I love talking about illustration. Once again, I'm Dimitri Detweiler, and this is Multipodality. You can find us on Twitter at Multipodality or visit us at our website at multipodality.wordpress.com to find out more about us and see some of our other podcasts. Our podcasts are also available on iTunes. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, and please share this with someone you know who might also enjoy it. Multipodality is supported by the Department of Language and Literacy Education at the University of British Columbia. Our executive producer is Kay Hare. Our production coordinator is Nina Conrad. Our social media coordinator is Lisa Navarro. Our technical coordinator is Adam Sheard. And I'm your host, Dimitri Detweiler. Thank you for listening.